0: Before I invite the speaker today, I just want to say something little about our dear brother, uh, Pastor Naftali Ogallo. He is a pastor of, uh, uh, in Grace Baptist Church in Eldoret. Uh, he's been uh, a pastor there for uh, a number of years. And uh, one of the things you need to know about him is that he was a pastor in TBC for 23 years. So you can imagine, he's uh, he's been a pastor here longer than I've been, and so he's uh, he's uh, our pastor in a sense, and uh, we thank God for him. Uh, the Lord called him to serve in Eldoret, uh, where he's been laboring, and uh, we trust that as he brings to us God's word, we will receive it, knowing that he's been he's served here in our midst for long. He's actually among the people who. Uh, Began uh, this church, uh, the, the, the core group that began this church back in the uh, 70s. Uh, and uh, we thank God that he's allowed him to be coming to bring to us God's word. So, Karibusana, Brother Nafsad. I'm lost for words, especially after my dear brother
1: Dominic uh, introduced me in a way like that. I feel humbled. Um, But uh, what a joy to be here uh, among you again. Um, I didn't travel alone. I'm here with my wife. You'll get to meet her later, uh, seated on my left there. And um, uh, yes, the Lord's grace Um, is the one that uh, really uh, kept us here uh, uh, those years, and then in his uh, strange providence, um, took us uh, to Eldoret. I've been back here a few times, and I think the last time was in 2020, around early 2020 there, uh, and um, both to teach uh, at the pastor's uh, college and also to preach. But I noticed last time when I stood here to preach that the pulpit is not at the height that I left it. And uh, I made a a small joke, but I think that joke still stands. It's like the gospel that has thundered off from this place has made the pulpit to shrink. And honestly, it has not changed. It's, uh, It's not getting any higher. Uh, I believe, though, that the gospel itself is going higher and higher. The pulpit may diminish, but the gospel here, I'm sure, goes higher and higher. Um, and uh, still on that, uh, Pastor Dominic just preached uh, from my you know, pul- pulpit in Eldoret less than three months ago, and uh, he knows how high that pulpit uh, is, so I don't know how many years, uh, that will take before it shrinks to this level. Um, but uh, with my wife, we are sincerely glad to be among you. Uh, and then to see um, some few faces that we were with then, uh, still soldiering on, still pressing on. How um, humbling that is. What a joy that the Lord both saves and keeps. And uh, uh, thank you so much, uh, dear ones, who were, we were together then, but you are still here. That stickability, it's what a blessing it is, because then the many who have joined in the years that uh, have followed, then see that indeed, they are those who have pioneered and they are still here. And so may the Lord bless you, uh, dear ones who are there then, but you are still uh, in here now. And uh, well, we will talk more later. Uh, my task is to bring uh, God's word uh, at the moment uh, to you. I've been having a challenge with my eyesight um, that when I return um, back to the village of Eldoret, uh, I will uh, actually, I've been seeing a doctor regularly and I am due to uh, go for some surgery. So if my eyes are glued to my uh, notes, I hope you don't feel I don't want to look at you as I preach. But that is why. Uh, Let's turn to the book of Acts, chapter 2. For a number of years back in Eldoret, I was preaching through the Gospel of Matthew. That took a number of years, and more recently, uh, when I concluded it, then I uh, felt it was only uh, necessary for the growth of uh, our church, that then I see, I show them how um, the the book of Acts is very instrumental uh, for uh, for us. Well, I want to read then Acts chapter 2 from verse 14 to 41. It's a lengthy uh, portion, but please let me read that, and then we will seek to look at it. Uh, This is uh, on the day of Pentecost. this mighty sudden wind uh, had, uh, had, had, had come uh, and the place where the, the 120 war was filled, uh, and then... Thank you for being... I hope you don't mind this. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay. Well, so... Um, the, the room was filled, the Holy Spirit came in in power, and, and these men uh, began to speak in tongues. Uh, and um, then they were given this amazing ability to, to, to speak in other tongues that they themselves didn't know, but they hear as understood. And of course, then the story goes on, and at the end. Some people scratched their heads, saying, What does this mean? What does this mean? Who can explain this to us? Others mocked and said, ah, These guys are drunk. Well, then uh, Peter gets the opportunity. Let me read, then we will seek to understand the passage from verse 14. But Peter. Standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Verse 17, now quoting from Joel chapter 2. And in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men uh, shall dream dreams even on my male servants and female servants. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood. Before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Losing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, quoting now another psalm: "I saw the Lord always before me, for the Lord is my is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart has uh, my heart." was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope for you will not abandon my soul to haze or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the Patrick David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on this throne, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus got raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David, another quote, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, from Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now let's seek the Lord's face as we come to his word. Dear Lord, thank you for your word, and we pray that you would use me to explain these things, Lord, and to apply them in a way that they will be helpful, and that you will have all the glory when Christ is seen and acknowledged as Lord and Christ. Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have read this passage, um, and uh, why this passage? Now, as we saw uh, the Holy Spirit had come as promised, and, and this actually is proof that Jesus Christ is ruling, is reigning from heaven over all nations, and this, friends, has great impact upon all, actually upon all, so that, of course, those who believe will be saved, but those who reject, those who remain as enemies of Christ, they have God to deal with. So the fact that Christ now reigns and is at the Father's right hand has an impact upon all. And it was not only then, but even here and now. In other words, this passage has an impact upon every one of us, including our two brothers who were baptized here, What we saw surely is that this has had such an impact upon them that they have basically surrendered to the reign of Christ and were baptized. So, this is an urgent message for all of us. But it's also a a very uh, significant portion of Scripture because this is the first. Preaching of the apostles. Later, of course, they will preach many, many sermons. This was the very first one. Remember, 50 days previous, you know, before, this particular man who stands here, Peter, such a coward, he even ran away. He denied his master. But things have so changed or so changed, that now he stands fearless and declares the centrality of Christ's resurrection. And so this surely is an important passage. Well, again, with the constraint of time and the passage that we read is quite um, sizable, Let's see a few things that we draw or we can draw from this passage. I want us to see um, how Peter um, preaches this and Peter allowed Luke, Dr. Luke, to then record this. And, and it, Actually, it's a, it's a sermon that in the reading, I don't know how many minutes we took, it doesn't take much. But it was such a powerful sermon that it affected so many people. Of course, in verse 40, we are indeed told that uh, this is like a summary. Because there in verse 40, said, And with many other words, he bore witness and uh, continued to exhort them. Okay, but what do we see then? The first thing is the explanation of Pentecost. These great phenomena needed to be explained. Uh, Left like it was, one group scratched their heads and said, we need explanation. What does this mean? The other group took it negatively and said, these guys are just drunk. Explanation is needed. And so Peter introduces the Messiah by um, correcting these people's error, and he's telling them, Listen, this is not being drunk. No, they are in verse 15. These people are not drunk as you suppose. Since it's only the third hour of the day, you got it wrong. And so he moves on to say, Let me explain to you. And so he goes and anchors it in the Old Testament passage. Now, uh we need to be growing to understand that what they had at this moment was but the old testament that's what they had so the book of joel was was familiar to many of them and and peter is saying this can only be explained Uh, As we understand the Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Now, we won't turn there because the passage has been uh, quoted uh, fairly closely um, in, in this particular passage. But really, the point is that God's promise of the last days to pour out his spirit is finally here. God has accomplished. God has fulfilled that which he had promised or said or prophesied so that all who now have the spirit of God will be able to prophesy now of course that word and this passage this passage has been tortured people have used this passage to 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 kind of um, explain why in their religious quarters, Uh, people would say all manner of things, and then they say, but the promise is that people will prophesy, so we are prophesying. Unfortunately, uh, uh, that uh, cannot be sustained. But here, this prophecy really would be um, to declare the words and the deeds of God, which of course uh, the apostles themselves were declaring. These people hearing them in their own native languages. And remember the apostles were men from Galilee, but the languages they were using were such that these people who were in Jerusalem could hear and say, but that's my language, but that's my language. And they're declaring the great things of God and praising God. And so this prophecy, of course, there is uh, also that prophecy would be forth telling, telling of the things that will uh, take place in the future. But prophecy has much more, Uh, can be defined in um, other ways, Actually, also including uttering thanksgiving and praises to God. That is very biblical, by the way. First Chronicles chapter 25, verse 3, we're told of um, there that prophecy involves uh, uttering thanksgiving and praise to God. So, this is not just talking about extra revelation of God, no, but um, declaring the word of God and as uh, also thanksgiving and praising God for the things that God had promised would come to pass and now they see. And then look at verse 19, I will show wonders in heaven, signs on earth. These, of course, these things showed that Jesus is the Messiah with authority. See in verse 22. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. Well, but then, of course, uh, passage goes on and talks about, now this is a prophecy. A old sermon could be preached just in the prophecy of Joel, but I'm trying to summarize it. But there in verse 20, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it talks about darkness. And darkness, friends, shows that the Lord Jesus Christ indeed bore the, the final, the, the last judgment, of his people. We can quickly on this one turn to the book of Luke. Just quickly turn with me to Luke chapter 23, and there in verse 20, uh, verse 44. Luke 23, 44, and see how that, those two verses... Closely tied to what then was happening at this time. This is the the death of of Jesus. Verse 44. It was now about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light filled. And listen to this. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. So again, more explanation would be required. But the things that happening, that were happening, the, the darkness over the whole land so that the sun could not provide its light is closely tied to the work or to what was happening in the temple. The curtain of the temple being torn from top to bottom. What does that, that mean? It's ripped open so that the activities that are uh, taking place in the Holy of Holies, which only one person could go in there, the high priest, once a year. Now it's open for all. Honestly, the Lord Jesus through his death has carried or has paid the lost judgment of his people. Now from heaven comes this mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire to testify Jesus' resurrection. So there were so many things that were happening. But to what end? We have not done full justice to the old, to the old passage, but to what end? Why are we being told of this prophecy being fulfilled today? The end, verse 21. There in verse 21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the Lord is not just in the business of of exciting people or frightening people. No, he's in the business, if you like, of bringing people to a point where they would be subdued under the kingship the new kingdom uh, that his son the lord jesus christ has set up so that all any one without distinction who calls upon the name of the lord will be saved that's the great agenda that was here even though these people mistook the happenings of that of the day and 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 and, uh, mocked these apostles and said, these guys are drunk. They don't know what they're doing. They're out of their minds. No, they are so uh, being used by God to the end that there will be salvation. There will be sinners being reconciled to their maker. And so Peter explains the Pentecost. The other thing that Peter does in this passage is to exalt Christ, is to show who Christ really is. And that we see in verses 22 down to 36. We ask the question, who is the Messiah? Now, such a question in the, in the ears of, um, of the Jews or of Israelites. Now, that, that, that's a powerful question. A relevant question. So who is this Messiah? Then you see there, verses um, 22, we are introduced to the one uh, Peter wants to exalt. He tells us in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. In other words, God provided uh, or showed ever so clearly who this Messiah is. And he is a human being. He is one who lived in the streets of Jerusalem with them. A man called Jesus. But let's look at it more closely. His life. Verse 22 we have read. But there we see something about his life that mighty works and wonders and signs God brought through him. To demonstrate, to show beyond Beyond doubt that indeed this is the anointed one of God. And and the end of that verse is is fairly strong. Look at that. Uh, The end of verse 23. As you yourselves know. These things were not done in some corner somewhere in the dark where people could not see. No, you yourselves know. Look again, let's turn to Luke uh, chapter 24 and uh, see how Luke had earlier captured this. Luke chapter 24, and there in verse 19, we find this. Uh, this, of course, is uh, in reference to the resurrection, and then on the road to a mouse, there are those disciples who were so disheartened the, the, the one they loved, the one they had hoped in, is no more. This is how it is captured here. Verse 19. And he said to them, Things. And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, A man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God. And listen to this. And all the people. So in other words, these things were not done secretly. in a con- Before God and all the people, people saw who Jesus really is in life. God so allowed him to do mighty works and wonders and signs. They had no excuse. And that was about his life. But then, friends, as we all know, then. He died. So let's just see something very quickly about his death there in verse 23. Verse 23. We are back to Matthew chapter. uh, Not Matthew. We are back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Look with me at verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and knowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So Peter has not just in one verse captured his life. Now Peter in verse 23 captures his death. This man who lived his life in the light of the sovereign or the sovereignty of God. There we are told... um, the way it's described, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Friends, if we lived in the light of that, of ourselves here today, life would be very meaningful. What I mean is anything that happens to us in life really is within the foreknowledge and uh, definite plan of God. God is not picking up pieces after our life has gone through rocks. God is with us, and God was with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a great um, encouragement, really, to every true believer. And those who are not believers, think about that. Your life is not... You may think you're living your life at your own dictates, within the control of God. So what it requires is a humility under this God. But anyway, here, back to verse 23, we see God was sovereign in the life of, um, of uh, the Lord Jesus. But these people are held accountable for what they did. We are told in the end of verse 23, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. The fact that God is sovereign and leads our lives doesn't mean that nothing painful or difficult or frustrating will ever uh, come to us. Those things will come, but for a believer, we know they come because we are in line with the Uh, purposes of God. That's what they did. He lived his life before God. They, we may say, they shortened their life, his life. But they are guilty. Of course, they know it, or they will soon know it. Then we move on, not only his life, and his death, but then gloriously, his resurrection. Verse 24, God raised him up Losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Wow. You killed him, but God raised him up because death has no power over him. But it goes on. Because at this point, Peter once If you like, to nail these people to the ground and say, listen, what you did actually, which is terrible, which is wrong. The scriptures talk about it. So he then takes them to the Old Testament and he refers them to Psalm 16 verses 8 to 11. Uh, Let me just quickly read verse, um, verse 25. Because now, you see, when the uh, a verse begins with for, because, or therefore, pay attention to that because it ties it with the argument that has gone ahead. So verse 25, for, David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may uh, not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. Why? For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So Peter Brings that passage to prove to them that death could not uh, hold him. But just before we make that conclusion, please pay attention here. Honestly, this passage was written by David. David, of course, is the one there who talks about gladness, rejoicing, and hope. Why? Because the father won't let death Reign, but now we are going to see in a moment where he says. But now let's let's get it right. Let's get it right. Actually, David died. David was buried. His grave is still here with us. So, what was David doing? How could it be he talked like that, and yet his grave is still here with us? You see, he goes on to show us that David, being a prophet, David was used of God to speak of the things that would happen later. But you see the fulfillment of this, even as we see it, was way above the experience of David. David, we are told, saw corruption. And yet this passage that Peter is, is bringing up Talked of one who cannot see and did not see corruption. Friends, David, because he was a prophet, spoke of one of his descendants who will reign forever. Who death will not uh, be a threat to whatsoever. David, we are told in this passage, spoke of the resurrection. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 33. Being therefore exalted to the right hand. Okay, I wanted no from verse 31. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Ah, friends, that is. Um, a great encouragement to anyone and everyone who is seeing and analyzing this Lord Jesus. Death could not have power over him. God raised him up. That is the resurrection and how important it is. It was prophesied. It had to take place in the third day. And so, We have seen, friends, his life and his death and his resurrection, how it is completely tied to the scriptures, and that could not be broken, but that's not the end. Then we see his ascension. Verse 33. Verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing, and hearing. So, friends, he once again shows them if you people choose to think that is, these are guys who are drunk early in the morning, you are wrong. This is what God Himself had promised would take place upon His Son. And so, uh, what then He does here again is to take us back to the Old Testament. And So please, when we read the New Testament, let's read with an eye onto the Old Testament. Because here alone, just in this chapter 2 of, of, Psalm, uh, of Acts, we see these three powerful passages. So now uh, he takes us uh, back to the Old Testament. And there in chapter 110, verse 1, this is quoted there in verse 34 now. Of Acts chapter 2, verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter is saying that even the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, dear friends, is anchored in the scriptures. Is anchored in the Scriptures. This particular psalm, if you have time later, take note, this particular psalm, Psalm 110, verse 1. In fact, it's quoted so many times. Someone says almost more than other passages in Scripture. I didn't uh, analyze that, but take note of that, Psalm 110, and pay attention to it because it's a great psalm. It's a very messianic. Uh, some indeed. The father, God the father, the father calls the son God and saying, you wait, You, you, you sit at my feet, you wait and see how I will deal and defeat all your enemies. Just to say, it is a loss to fight against God there is anything in your life that you know God is saying this, but you either feel the price is too high, or you still want to dilly-dally, hoping that God's plans may change. As often, some people say, "I'm, I'm waiting for God to give me peace over this, when clearly God is telling you to do something, to go, or to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a, don't fight against God. Why? Because He say, "You, my son, sit at my feet until I make your enemies your footstool. I'll fight all those who would reject you." Conclusion of the matter. Look at verse 36 with me. This is how this man ends his, con- uh, his um, summon, was it, well, verse 36. Now let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus you, crucify. And just the way um, Peter introduces the, his, that final sentence is amazing. Let all the house of Israel know for certain. He now brings all that he's been saying to bear upon everyone. Upon everyone. No one is exempt. And he says, take it or leave it. This is the truth. You have to have dealings with it. Or really with him. You killed the Messiah, but God raised him. That's really what he's telling them. God raised him. He's ascended. He's at the right hand of God, the throne of God. And he's now declared Lord. That's the conclusion of how Peter exalted Christ. Well, uh, then in the third place, friends, we see there an exhibit of repentance. Basically, if we turn that around, demonstrate repentance. Exbeat repentance, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? When they heard this, when they heard what? What is it that they heard that so powerfully cut them to the heart? And to be cut to the heart is where... Someone, something has happened. Someone owns up. Either looks at the person, you know, who has challenged them, or looks down with utter shame and says,
2: I'm guilty. I'm found out. Is there hope? What can I do?
1: And that is what this sermon of Peter has brought these people to, to do. And what is it? There are no magics here. In fact, it's the power of Scripture. Or well, the evidence of Scripture set before these people
2: and explained. They were
1: tongue-tied. Well, let's look at just a few reasons that would have been at play in their minds when they said their hearts are cut or they are cut to the heart. When they said, what shall we do? One, it's because they killed their long-awaited Messiah. You know, if you've been waiting, and they waited, think of the history of Israel and that the Messiah would come. And would so bring them redemption and and bring them into a relationship with God. And they waited all those years. But that, what they finally did was to kill the very one, the very Messiah they had been waiting for. It's like, what have we done? What have we done? And, and Paul does not spare them. Look at verse 23. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of your lawless men. And that, that goes deep. That hurts. It is also implied in verse 32. This Jesus, God raised up. Well, God raised him up because you killed him. Verse 36 appears. Let all the house of Israel therefore know, for certain God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when they analyzed those things, it came like a brick of tons over them. No wonder they were cut to their heart. Not only that, before they are they are
2: deeply in guilt.
1: you have not only killed him, but it's like we've done it, we've done it. So they, they see their guilt. Not only that, If only that, dear friends, now the fear of the wrath of God is upon them. The anger of God hangs now upon them. Why do I say that? When, When Peter puts to prove that the Lord Jesus Christ indeed is risen and is at the right hand of God, you know what Peter does? He quotes Psalm 110, and look at verse 35 of our passage, Acts 2. It's like, my son, you sit at my feet. See how I'm going to deal with these people. Verse 35, until I make your enemies your footstool. I'm, I'm, I'm going to finish your enemies thought of the wrath of
2: God weighs on them. But you see, it doesn't stop there, friends. It doesn't stop there. Because this one who is going to judge them is alive. He's alive! He's risen! They put him to death, but
1: he's risen, ascended. So it's a terrible day to sit there and, 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 and listen to this sermon.
2: The judge
1: is alive. Finally, as though that's not heavy enough on them, finally. They can do nothing about it.
2: They can do nothing about it. By themselves, they cannot change their situation. They've killed their Messiah. And so they say, hey, what shall we do? What shall we do?
1: What shall we do? You see, my friends, it is this state that you honestly must come to if you'd be saved. You know, unless you are brought to a position through the preaching the teaching of God's word. That is like you hold your head and say, You mean that is what the truth about me? You mean I've I've messed up that much? You mean I've sinned against a holy God that much? You mean He has every right to crush me? And by myself I can do nothing. Friends,
2: have you come to that kind of a position? This first sermon brought the hearers to that position. They came to
1: see and feel the pain of their own sin. And it has never changed over the centuries. If you see, this is the work of the Holy Spirit.
2: Always fast, he
1: brings the sinner to see the horror of his sins. Before then, Christ becomes glorious. Sinner must see that they are so messed up.
2: God is right to crush them.
1: I fear where there is lack of proper teaching, people almost think they can bargain with God. Okay, God, I mean, I'm not so bad, but let me just be nice. Let me begin to go to the church. They take your word seriously, but let me me be consistent. Then I think I'll, I'll be saved. No, you must come to a point where you see your utter sinfulness. And they're right that God, if He should crush you, then He's only fulfilling His word until I make your enemies your footstool. In the fourth place, there's an expression here of amazing grace. They are in verses 38 to 40. When they ask, Is there any hope? Is there any hope? Verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent and be baptized. That is your hope. You see, repentance is a change of mind and heart. It's a it's a turning now towards God. You, you are going your way. You thought you knew it all. You wanted you, the pleasures of this world. But it reaches a time in your life when you say, from what I have heard, I have been going wrong. I must make an about turn. And so, turn to God. And you turn to God from sin, from evil. Because when you're going your own way, you may think you're a nice person. Don't harm anyone, just doing your own things. No, that's evil. true goodness is only in relationship to God. And this includes strictly... Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This one who these people put to death and said, we're done with him. They even hired some gods to make sure that the disciples don't steal the body. They were so anti-Christ. But he rose again and now they are being told, you put him to death, Christ raised him. And you, there's nothing you can do about it unless he himself does what is necessary. So fl- friends here, we see surely, again, like First Thessalonians chapter one, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians one, verse nine and 10. Peter, uh, Paul there, Paul tells the Thessalonians uh, about the turning from their own way to God and now to wait for the Lord Jesus Christ. But you see here, when Peter is telling them, repent and believe in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Peter says, listen, God is ready. And God promises. Not only you, but others also. And so, this is a, a great, joyous, glorious, Gracious promise here. I read verse thirty-eight again. Peter said to, it, to them, "Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit." The Holy Spirit is a gift upon everyone who repents and believes. The Holy Spirit is not a gift in an experience of a few people. Um, It's not something later they experience. It's when someone turns to the Lord in genuine repentance. And this promise includes any without distinction. These people who were there in Israel that day Their children may have remained at home, but then they are told, yes, this promise is to you and to your children and to all others. And therefore, friends, we find ourselves here that there is hope even for any of us here today. And of course, the passage ends by showing that Peter preached much longer than what uh, Luke condensed here. Peter, um, we are told in verse 40, and with many other words, people witness, continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And then what do we see? The Holy Spirit continued to work and to convict, to work and to convict through what Peter was preaching. What was the outcome? Verse 41. And so those who received his word were baptized. There were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's the powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Let's just run quickly through uh, a few uh, areas or lessons or uh, points of application if we are to leave this passage, if we are to go home. So what? Well, surely there are a few things to carry home with us. One is just this. Jesus Christ is risen and exalted. Risen and now is at the Father's right hand. You know what? He is Lord and Savior, Lord and Messiah. We're not making him Lord and Messiah. He has been declared. Actually, he was already. This, if you like, was like his coronation. If you remember what happened just a couple of weeks ago. The king, when Queen Elizabeth died, he became the king. But now, on the day of his coronation, then now... He's established. The Here we have King Jesus, the Messiah, and He now reigns over all. That's why He has sent His Holy Spirit.
2: Friends, have you?
1: Submitted to this. It's the question. One question I want to leave with you. Have you submitted yourself to this king under his kingship? Under his rule? Have you? I just want to ask you. Please, if you have not. Hurry. Don't waste any moment.
2: Submit to him.
1: And if it is to scare you, but anyway, it is there in our passage. Look again there, verse 34 and 35. The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand. Until I make your enemies your footstool. I don't want you to remain or continue to be an enemy of Christ. You will not win. You will not. Don't you
2: seek friendship with this King
1: Jesus? And actually, it's a king that his great desire, his main desire, is that you be in a relationship with him that you would be saved. When these people are cut to their heart, they say, what can we do? And Peter said, repent, believe. The blessing of the Holy Spirit will be yours. Dear preachers in this uh, church, please, let's bring our hearers to where Peter
2: brought his hearers.
1: Let's bring our hearers to see Christ risen
2: And the, the powerful implication of that. We are not motivational preachers. We are those who then tell our people that if you do not turn to Christ, God will crush you.
1: So have you, dear listener, submitted to Christ? Number two, the second, in the second place, is you must come to a true conviction of the horror of your sin sin is bad, sin is ugly. Now I know we are living at a time in these past few weeks now up to now and every day the revelations we hear particularly the famous place infamous place the Shakahola um, place. We think that it is that guy Ezekiel Mackenzie that he is the one who needs God's mercy. Because he has done a horrible, imaginable thing. One life is bad enough. But did I hear last night? The number was running to 201 or so. Uh, Are we talking about lives? So the danger now is, he is the guilty person. He is the one who needs repentance. You know what? Sitting here today, each one of us.
2: We are guilty before God. We
1: are sinners before God. And you know your own sins. I'm able to say it this way because you know every sin is weight enough before God. Every sin. God will not say, now yours is not so bad, so don't worry. You're aware of Your failures before God. Your hatred. Your lying. Your insubordination. Your sexual life. You know. Any sin. Now you may say. "Ah, But this passage is talking about the people who killed Jesus. If you would have been there. You would have said. Crucify him. Crucify him. But you know what? The offer of this amazing gospel, is to us here too. So do not delay. Do not
2: delay. Let me hurry on
1: to say that if you are saved, if you are saved, baptism follows repentance and faith. Baptism Follows repentance and faith. One who claims to be saved but not baptized. It's just a contradiction. Beautiful to
2: hear the testimonies of our two brothers.
1: So when they had come to a position of submitting to the Lordship of Christ, then they demonstrated in baptism. Have you been baptized as a believer? Do you say you're a believer, but baptism, you are still holding? See? No. My parents told me some water was poured on my head, so I, I think that's okay. This double baptism, I don't like it. Oh. It is believers who are baptized. It is those who repent and put their trust in the Lord Jesus who are baptized. Don't delay obedient to the Lord. And of course, that is closely tied with this, that uh, there's no secret believer. There's no secret believer. Surely, this passage ends. Now I know beautifully it enters in verse 40, verses 42 to 47, and now describes this, this church. But it ends by showing us that there's no secret believer. You need to identify with God's saved people immediately. These 3,000 were added to what? To the 120 who were there. Are you added to the Lord of God's people like the two have been added today? You need, you need. Well, this passage, friends, uh, has so much to offer all of us. But I say again, you either surrender when you come to see the horror of your own sinfulness before this holy God who, even though we put Christ to death, God raised him up, God uh, sent him into glory, and God says, I'll deal with those who still reject. This is an offer to everyone would look to the Lord they would be forgiven their sins and be saved. If not, honestly then you have the almighty God to face in judgment and remember the judge is alive. He's risen. He's alive. May the Lord bless his word. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God thank you that Christ is alive. But as true as it is that he will deal with all his enemies and trash them, there is an an amazing offer of grace to those who will repent and believe. I do pray for these dear ones who have listened that you'd work, Lord, what only you can do. The Holy Spirit will show each one the areas of sin and oppose them to say, have mercy. I repent. I believe. And those who have not been baptized may seek baptism. Like our two brothers. Lord, hear our prayer. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.